0: You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Well, good morning. It's great to see you all here. It's a new year. Happy New Year. Uh, it's a new decade happy new decade, if that's a thing as well. Where did the last 10 years go? I mean, seriously, I know that they say that as you get older, time seems to speed up, but oh my word, it's like a 100 meters race right now. Seems crazy. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be bringing our focus back in on what we see as really important to us uh, as a fellowship this year, as we move forward. Uh, But not only this year, but also this decade now. I have resisted Calling this message 2020 vision because there are about a million churches around the world that will all be having, all their pastors will be having a, I've got a 2020 vision. They're all American, of course. They'll have their 2020 vision, so I've called it refocus instead, just to be different, because I like to go against the flow sometimes. We'll actually do this every January, so sometimes I will call it vision, just not this time. Uh, and it's a chance to refocus, reset, it's, uh, to keep in step with God as a fellowship and as individuals within that fellowship, to adjust and position ourselves uh, for his purposes, okay? And we want to be prepared for what he has for us. We we also want there to be a really clear understanding around why we do what we do as a fellowship and and actually why we're going to do what we're going to do. Things like moving location. We'll have to explain why that would be necessary because that will probably happen at some point in the next year or so. Or even having multiple locations around Boness. What about Partnership. What about home groups? Why are they so important? Because we see those two things as absolutely key to how this church moves forward into this next 12 months and beyond. And I want to assure you, just before I start, that our vision and our values haven't changed a bit. If you were here a year ago, our vision is the same, our values are the same. We're still about building kingdom community in Bowness. That's our overall heart and charge there. We're still about raising leaders. We're still about planting churches, even if we haven't done it yet. We're still about taking ground. Because I don't like that the enemy has so much territory in this town. And we want to move forward together in the same direction. (laughs) That's always helpful. For the same purpose. And the Bible calls that unity. So we want to move forward in unity. And it's not that we agree on every dot and comma. It's not that we agree on every preference and style. The way that we perhaps go about doing things. But that we're united in heart for his kingdom. We're united in heart to see him glorified and lifted high. We're we're united in heart to desire to be disciples, co-laborers with him, to know him, to go deeper. It it wasn't just an accident that we called the the follow-up notes to the Sunday morning preach, go deeper. Because our heart for each, every single one of you is to go deeper in your relationship with God this year. And I want to ensure that as much as depends upon me individually and as a fellowship, we are ready, we are healthy, we are expectant for this new season and that we are fighting fit. You like that? (laughs) Please open your Bibles to 1 Timothy 6 and we're going to be looking at, at verse 12. So 1 Timothy 6. Uh, looking at verse 12. Keep it open there. And while you're going there, this is a letter. It's a letter from Paul, who you might recognize as the apostle. And it's to Timothy. No surprises there. His name's in the title. It's from Paul to Timothy, who's like his trainee. And uh, Paul is actually trying to, uh, well, he sent Timothy to Ephesus to sort out some issues with the church there. And if you look at the first part of chapter six, just let your eyes scan over that quickly, you'll see that Paul is warning Timothy about a type of people who crave controversy. They quarrel about words, nitpick, perhaps. They provoke things like envy or dissension, suspicion, slander, friction. They're troublemakers that that Paul is identifying. They are a people who see godliness as a means to personal gain. Beware of the mentality that God's blessings will follow your behavior. Beware of the mentality that God will bless you more if you behave yourself better. Because that can become the motivation of your faith and it's not genuine faith. You're wanting something from God rather than loving him for who he is. These people's motivation wasn't to know God. It wasn't to love God. It wasn't to worship him, but to know personal comfort and wealth. That's what they wanted. And in pursuit of this, they were wandering from God, and in doing so, they were hurting themselves. Uh, and if you look at the end of that little section of chapter 6, he kind of says that they have, they, they have panged themselves, Jesus' words are words like this, and I think this is what the people are disagreeing with when it says they were disagreeing with words. Words like, seek first the kingdom of God. If you're writing that down, that's Matthew six thirty-three: Seek first the kingdom of God. You know the context. Don't rush after food, don't rush after clothing, don't rush after mobile phones and Sky broadband packages and things like that. Seek first the kingdom of God. Everything that you need will be added if you get that priority right? Jesus also says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. You see the contrast, you've got a group of people who their godliness is about getting personal gain for themselves, about prospering for themselves, and yet Jesus flips that completely and says, if, if, you, if you want to be taken care of, seek first the kingdom of God. Because that's the source. He is the source of every blessing, but it's seeking him first. And if you want to gain life, if you want to know what abundant life is, you've got to lose your life first. Your life is no longer your own if you're in Christ. Now that sounds like a bad thing, but actually it's the best thing for you. Paul charges Timothy to flee from this kind of mentality and these behaviors and pursue a diametrically different type of character. Completely opposite. One of righteousness, of, of godliness, of faith, of love, of endurance, and of gentleness. And so we come to today's text. And, and if I was to have a verse for this year, for this fellowship, if I was to say this is our mantra verse for the year, this is what we hold up high, it would be this verse. And the verse is this, fight the good fight of the faith. Now this is written to Timothy, but you can take this as... God speaking to you this morning. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. If you've confessed Jesus as Lord, there are many witnesses to that in heaven and on earth. Take hold of eternal life. Now, most normal people don't like the idea of a fight. I was hoping for a bit of laughter there because you can see my cheeky little face. Personally, I love a fight. <laughs> as long as I'm not the one fighting, okay? Let's, let's just get that nailed now. I love a fight as long as I'm not the one being fought. I, I, I think if anyone was to hit me right now anyway, if they were to hit my stomach, I think I'd just absorb it. I think I need to go to Weight Watchers now. i put on two stones since I came to uh, Scotland. How's that? That's good. Two stone. Still made it up a mountain the other day. <laughs> I got into a few fights at school. And, you know, I'd love to tell you right now that I was like a a little scrapper. I was short, I was lippy. I'd love to tell you that I won some of those fights. I don't think I won any of them, maybe one. Most of my fights were spent like this. (laughs) You know... I I was not, I was lippy and I kept getting into fights. I know what it's like to be punched in the mouth. I know what it's like to have the black eyes, the broken nose. I know what it's like to have my mum liquidise my dinner and give me a straw because my lips are so fat from a big clonk on them that I, I, I can't actually take them. I know what fights are like. And, but if one's happening and it's not involving me, I seem to run straight into the middle of it. I, I can't help myself. I just enjoy it. There's something just gets going in my character, and I'm like, whoa, get into the middle of that. I love it in a football match when it starts kicking off, not in the right way, on the pitch. I love that. I, I, would, I would get YouTube videos of that and watch them back to back. You know, I love it if a, you know, somebody gets fouled and they get up and they clock somebody. I don't know why. You're probably all thinking of leaving the church right about that, aren't you? <laughs> I love rugby for that reason, because it's such a contact sport. But I actually hate confrontation, though, that's the weird thing, of any sort, really. I'm a people pleaser. I don't, mind if, I don't mind stepping into somebody else's fight, but I hate it if the fight's mine. If I feel that there's a fight coming, whether that's a verbal one or a physical one, oh, my word do I panic, I hate that. And if you're normal, <laughs> you probably hate that as well. But this fight that we're talking about here is a good fight. And fighting isn't always wrong. So, so what kind of fight is Paul talking about here? He's not talking about a playground scrap, that's for sure. Uh, and what are we, who are we fighting? So those are my two questions for today. What kind of fight is Paul talking about? That we need to know about? That we need to involve ourselves in? And who are we fighting? Who's the object of our fight? In his letters... Paul uses metaphors. And if you've read a little bit of the New Testament, you might know some of these metaphors. Uh, And they're metaphors for the life of a disciple. They teach aspects of what it means to be a believer in Jesus actively. Uh, And the metaphors are like this, boxing. Being a boxer is one of the metaphors that, that Paul pulls out. Or running. He talks about running with endurance, running the race marked out. He's kind of thinking of marathons. He's thinking like an Olympic kind of sport, and he also talks about warfare, and you're probably familiar with Ephesians 6 picture of putting on the armor of God and how he's got a soldier in his mind. So, Paul is familiar with the concept of fighting, and he compares it three ways boxing, running, warfare. He says things like pressing forward, running the race like an athlete, running with endurance, spiritually armoring ourselves. Uh, but either way, whichever. One, Paul is thinking about here when he says to Timothy, fight the good fight. There's a couple of things that I think are really clear. Firstly, this, fighting is not comfortable. Like I said, I've been hit enough times to know that. But even, you know this, when conflict is unavoidable, it's not a pleasant feeling, is it? Uh, And my preference would be, if I know that there's a conflict situation coming, is to try and hope it goes away. But that's not good. And I've done that before and I've done it in a Christian workplace and that, that trying to let it all go away and I prayed, I did the, the right stuff if you like but I didn't act upon what God was calling me to do and it cost us dearly. When we run away from conflict it can really cost us. Fighting is not comfortable. Now some people think Christianity is about good society. It's about, Sunday, I'm British, I should probably do this, I've always done this. It's perceived, actually, as an easier life. A lot of people that criticise Christianity will say, well, it's a crutch. You're obviously a weaker person, you need a crutch to get by. Uh, And so they see it as an easy path. Maybe Christianity is about doing the right thing in order to have a good life, in order to be peaceful, prosperous, healthy have a good existence. I'm in it because of the wonderful things that I can get out of it. And that creeps into the church, that, that thinking. I feel so happy. Oh, bless me, Lord. Pour out all your blessings on me, Lord. That's what I'm in this for. Wasn't church lovely today? There's nothing wrong with that, but let's not let our focus be on healing or prosperity or on feelings or on emotions first. The church is not a spiritual supermarket I kind of picture that old Dale, what's his name supermarket sweep where you had the time to, you had to run down the aisles with that trolley like try and grab everything you, you know, I think some people approach church like they've got that trolley and they've, they've got that list, shopping list in their back pocket. Well, this morning, I need to be encouraged. I need to get a word that tells me what I'm gonna do next week. I need this, I need that, I need the other. I want the worship to be amazing. Oh, and I want the preacher to preach uh, preferably 10, 15 minutes max uh, and to give me three really good points that I can take home and apply to my life so that I can live my best life now. That's kind of how often people can approach church. And when people are like, I didn't really get anything from church today. And that might have been you at some point, and it has been me at some point, but let me tell you what that does. It cheapens the gospel. It makes the presence of God akin to a discount store. Do you know how valuable it is to come into God's presence? And do you know that we don't always feel that with the the warmth and the fire and the stuff that's going on around us. We don't always see, perceive the, the, the physical manifestation of God's presence. But he is present where people are gathered in his name, where their heart is to worship him, where they want to lift him up. He is present. And I tell you what, when you are there, when he's present, you cannot not be changed. It might not feel like it. You might go home feeling like, well, didn't really get anything from the preach today send me a text later if that's true. (laughs) Paul says there's a fight of the faith that needs to be fought. and, And it's not comfortable. And it's not about getting the good stuff out of it. The next thing is that fighting is not passive. You need to be in it. It's active. It's deliberate. It's intentional. Fight the good fight. It's an instruction. It's an active instruction. It's not a passive suggestion. Do you know if you fancy it, guys, let's get a scrap on. That's not what Paul's saying here. He's instructing, commanding, fight the good fight of the faith. Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's not sit down and wait to be fed. I mean, this kind of goes back to my previous point. If I am spiritually immature... And if I am not growing spiritually, how often have I thought that's somebody else's fault? Maybe the worship leader picked the wrong songs. I didn't really jive with them this morning. Maybe the pastor's not caring enough. And if he was a bit more caring, maybe I'd be growing a bit more. If you're a Christian, you are in the fight. You are in the fight of faith. You don't get the choice. You are in that fight. Sitting and watching everyone else do Christianity isn't Christianity. There's a responsibility upon you. This is tricky because there is a responsibility upon you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That that doesn't sound like grace. That doesn't sound all cozy. It sounds hard. There's a responsibility on you to take hold of the eternal life to which you've been called. Now, it's not about being saved by good works. It's not about proving yourself to God. But equally, this isn't a ride that you just step into, strap yourself in, and let the ride take you where it will take you, like you're going to Alton Towers. There is a responsibility on you. Fighting's not passive. And then fighting is progressive running, fighting, boxing, whatever it is, there needs to be a forward motion, a, a pressing onwards. In World War I, there was a horrendous and unnecessary cost. There was a really protracted period of time where both armies facing off each other dug deep and stayed still. And it cost so many lives. And it cost so much time. And it meant that nobody was really moving forward. They got bogged down. And when we entrench ourselves, we get into difficulty. And and we present danger, not only to ourselves, but to everyone around us as well. When we dig in. Now, to be entrenched means to cease to move forward. To dig in. We might even consider that we're in the fight, but the reality is we're bunkered down. We're, we're an ostrich sticking our head in the sand and hoping that all the bad stuff will blow over and all the challenges to my character will, will pass by. There are three ways that I see in the text above. If you again scan, and I'd recommend you read it later, that first part of the chapter, there's three ways of entrenchment that I see that Paul is pointing out to Timothy. The first one is being entrenched in materialism. My sole motivation is, what can I get? Can I protect my stuff? Can I make sure that I get my phone contract sorted out? Can I, can I do everything I can to try to get more? I need more money. I need more possessions. I need a bigger house. I need a, a bigger lot of land. I, I, I need bigger boundaries. There's nothing wrong with saying, Lord, enlarge my boundaries. As long as you're saying, Lord, enlarge my boundaries for the kingdom, <laughs> But there is something wrong saying, Lord, enlarge my boundaries so that I've got seven bedrooms that I don't need. If, you, if you're asking for enlargement, if you're asking for increase, ask for this so that the kingdom may grow and so that his name may be glorified and honoured. That's why we ask. So entrenched in materialism, entrenched in legalism. They argued about words. What this word means, what this word means. What this theology is, what this doctrine is, and we need to be clear on our theology and on our doctrine, but these guys were entrenched in it there wasn 't a heart because i need to I need to give my very best to God and, and seek to understand his character and understand what he 's done for me that 's good, but if it 's about knowledge and if it 's about being right in the argument and finishing well in the argument that 's being entrenched in legalism and, and if you like Years ago, if you drank and you were a Pentecostal, well, you were out of the door. I was so surprised when I saw my first apostolic pastor drinking. I was like, what? I, I drank myself, so it was a complete hypocrisy. But I looked at the pastor. I was like, but you're an apostolic pastor. How could you possibly drink? And we get entrenched in things that the Bible doesn't lay on us. It says, don't be drunk doesn't say don't touch a single drop of alcohol in fact Paul tells Timothy have a drink please <laughs> sort your stomach out and we can also get entrenched in scandal and gossip the whispering in dark corners well you'll never guess what so and so said you'll never guess what they did last week watch the way you talk about things is it bringing life or is it potentially going to bring destruction? I know there's a lot changing in church, and we've talked about perhaps moving location. We've talked about, um, we've talked about perhaps multiple locations. We've talked about partnership coming up. We've talked about home group uh, coming up. And, and if you don't like those things, here's the godly way to deal with it. Come and talk to me. Come and ask me why. Come and say, Tom, what has God said to you about this? Why are you doing it this way? Come and ask me. Don't talk in the corners about it. Don't phone up so-and-so and and say, oh, you know, you never guess what they're doing next. We've all got to go to other people's houses. I don't want to go to that person's house. Eddie. I love Eddie's house. don't (laughs) Don't let yourself become entrenched in scandal and gossip. Be godly about things. So what God is calling for his church is a forward movement. In our lives, in our fellowship, and in our community. A forward movement. So the question is this. Will you fight forward? Or like me at so many of those schoolyard scraps, curl up and kind of hope it doesn't happen. And my second question was, who are we fighting? Because that's kind of important at this point. Who are we fighting Every fight has two opposing forces, doesn't it? it? It might be people, contenders, warriors, gladiators. It's the only Scottish I can do. Gladiators, ready! That—that <laughs> that was a lead balloon <laughs> that I just dropped <laughs> there. <laughs> it's really bad when your comment about your bad joke gets more laughs than your bad joke. Yep, I need to learn a bit. Who are we fighting in this good fight? Of the faith, Who are we fighting? Is it about defending God? No. God is perfectly positioned and armoured. He's exceedingly armoured to be able to defend himself. He's very capable of that. He, he doesn't need your help in defending him. That's not to say that apologetics is wrong. I think it's good to be able to, to bring down arguments uh, and good to be able to reveal truth into situations because the truth always tears down the walls. But you don't have to defend God. He's going to do that himself. Like, who am I to be able to defend God? I need him to defend me. So it's not about defending God. Paul's not asking for crusaders here. Uh, and So is it about standing up for Christian values, perhaps? That's slightly different than defending God uh, in society. Uh, no. Not here it's not. That's a good thing. We should be doing that. We should be bringing a word in season into this society. Absolutely. But it's not what Paul is talking about in this text. So if it's not defending God, and if it's not standing up for Christian values in our really valueless society, then what is this fight? Is it like Ephesians 6, 12, where Paul says, our struggle It's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Is that what we're talking about? This not flesh and blood battle that has to be fought out in the heavenlies in the spiritual realm? Well, in a way, yes. Because our fight isn't to bring down or defeat people. I think the church gets that wrong sometimes. We're not called to assassinate people. Assassinate arguments, yes. Battle with spiritual forces, yes. Take down strongholds, yes. Don't character destroy. But it's still not quite that. Whatever the fight is here that Paul calls Timothy to, it's not about attacking people at all. it's not about the external forces attacking the church. Let's have a look at the verse again. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I want you to notice something and perhaps underline it, note it down, whatever. Notice that the good fight is the fight of the faith, not for the faith. There's a very key thing there. It's not the fight for the faith. It's the fight of the faith. This fight is purposeful. This fight is about flesh, ours. That's the fight. That's what we're contending for. Look at what Paul says to the Corinthian church. He says, I do not fight like a boxer beating the air." Now, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. It's kind of like that plank against the speck in the eye. How can I stand here and preach righteousness and godliness if I am debased? So I, I fight with my own flesh, I fight with my desires. You know, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and he will give you the desires of your heart. I think the way that I interpreted that for many years was if I seek God first, because that's in the Bible, uh, then he will give me whatever I want. That's the way I interpreted that verse. No, this is the way we interpret that verse. If I trust in the Lord with all my heart, if I delight in him, if I pour everything I have into him, then he will put desires in my heart that are godly. Because none of my desires are godly, not one. The only godly desires I have have been planted, seeded by the King of Kings. So he's challenging Timothy to contend with himself and his own flesh, to, to flee from one kind of mentality. Uh, and the old behaviors, and pursue something diametrically different as a character. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. He's challenging Timothy to contend for his own faith and take hold of eternal life. Now, wait a minute. Because is he saying that Timothy needs to earn his salvation? Seems like it. He says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. That's not what he's saying. You'd be glad to know. You don't have to earn, you cannot earn your salvation. Timothy was already in Christ at this point. Therefore, already had grasped, in a sense, eternal life. He'd already been gifted it by God. But by fighting the good fight, he could really take a hold of it. Really get a grasp of it. By fighting the good fight, we get a firm grip upon the abundant life that Jesus talks about. And I know that most of you have sometimes in your life, in the circumstances, have wondered, where is that abundant life? Paul's saying, you've got to grasp it with effort. With a forward motion, pressing onwards, taking hold, like a baton being passed from one relay runner to the other. You've got to grasp it and then move on with it. So it's about contending for your faith. It's about putting off the old and putting on the new. It's about not conforming to the pattern of this world any longer, but allowing the Spirit of God to renew your mind through transformation. Uh, Peace and fulfilment is found in contending. Not for material gain, not for comfort, not for wealth, not for reputation or status, but contending with our own flesh for daily surrender. Daily elevating him to where he should be in our lives. Above it all, he is so wonderful. And as we contend... As we fight the good fight, we, we, we start discovering the beauty and the majesty of who he is. The, the wonder of his name. It, it, treasuring him. Holding him as the most valuable thing above everything else in our lives. When Jesus says, you know, you can't be my disciple unless you hate your mother and father. He's not saying, go up to your mum and your dad and beat them and like, say, I hate you. I don't want to talk to you again. He, he's saying, love me so much more. Put me in a better place spiritually than you would them. And I'm going to wrap up. Do you feel like you're hanging on to God loosely? Maybe not now, but have you felt that way? You're kind of hanging on loosely. Do you feel that your faith is fragile? I don't know how many more knocks you can take. Do you get frustrated perhaps with your own progress spiritually? Honestly, sometimes it's a fight just to stay focused on Jesus in the middle of the storm. Thinking about Peter jumping out of that boat. He's so excited, he wants to run to Jesus. who's walking across the water. Good old boisterous Peter, full of faith, jumps out. Three steps. (laughs) Notices the surrounding wind and the water and the spray and panics. How many seconds does it take from Peter looking at Jesus right in the face before he's looking down at the problem? How many seconds? So, so don't beat yourself up if you feel that you've got fragile faith this morning. If, you, if you're thinking, that how can I fight? Because I don't feel like I've got much fight in me. I don't feel like I've got enough energy. You know, there's things like depression which just completely cloud your ability to fight. Because uh, and, and, I hate confrontation. My, my, my natural reaction is, is to move away and try and hide from it. Try to avoid it at all costs. There's confrontations that come up pastorally where somebody does something and I need to go and have a word with them. I don't like that. And my sin is that I try to avoid that. And I say it's sin because it damages you and it damages the church and it damages me. And I need to have the guts and the gumption to to challenge the situation head on and say, hang on, that's not right. And I don't all the time. And I don't because I'm weak. And I'm not beating myself here. When Paul says he beats his own flesh, he's not talking about the Catholic self flagellation where they whip themselves and try and make themselves literally a slave. But I need to take the weakness of my own character and give it to Jesus. Because then I find strength beyond what I've got in my own tank. Do you feel that you are holding on loosely? tell you what's even harder, it's harder to keep a check on our own flesh, to take every thought captive, to daily submit to Jesus. Listen, every illustration Paul uses indicates the need for strenuous preparation, stretching muscles, personal discipline, sacrifice, elements of inconvenience, pain, risk, discomfort. You don't get it without stretch. My calves are killing me today because of the hill I climbed the other day. Absolutely rinsing me. It's a miracle I'm standing. But but it was totally worth it. And I could say that hurt, I'm never gonna do that again. I'm just gonna sit and watch telly. And what would happen is everything that I did once have will waste away. And actually, if I want to not have this, I just need to do it more. It's the same spiritually. How much time do you give Jesus in the day? I'm not trying to guilt trip anyone here because there are days where I get to the end of the day and I'm like, oh Lord, I haven't really spoken to you. But how much time do you give him? (laughs) Because here's the thing, there's a direct correlation, direct correlation between how you grow as a believer to how much time you spend in his presence. Direct. So perhaps... At the beginning of this year, fighting the good fight for us means laying some things down. Maybe it means half an hour less with the TV remote. I mean, if you just start there, maybe it means getting up half an hour earlier. Just that. If you can't manage half an hour, start with a quarter of an hour. This isn't about beating ourselves up. It's not about being legalistic because we can get entrenched in that. If you think my quiet time has to be between this time and this time every day and that's that and anyone, woe anyone that tries to I- interrupt that, then you've got yourself entrenched in legalism there. But spend time with Jesus. He's a person. You, it doesn't matter where you are. You can talk to him. You can listen to him. You can, you can read the word. You can listen to the word. You can, you can worship you could take yourself out for a walk and just allow the majesty of his presence to be seen through what he's created and, and allow that to let your heart rise. Go out for a walk and pray. Fight the good fight. Contend for your faith. Can we stand together, please? I make no apologies for constantly challenging us into a deeper relationship with Jesus but know this and please be encouraged by this. We're not saved by our actions, but by his grace. Uh, And not only that, we're not good enough. We can't fight hard enough. We're not worthy enough, but he is good enough. He is worthy enough and he has fought for us and is fighting for us. And we're called to contend to fight the good fight. He is fighting our battles. As we fight, he's fighting for us. He is the author that faith however strong or fragile it is he's the author he's also going to be the perfecter amen